Well, we pray together and get our hearts right before God, before we dig into his word. God, we thank you so much for this opportunity we have to worship you, to gather here and clear our heads and our hearts from distraction, to seek more of you and um, through your word. I just pray that you would help us focus in, not on me or my words, but on your word this morning. And we would see the importance of it, the weight of it. For those that need encouragement, I pray this would be an encouraging morning. Uh, those that need comfort, that they would find comfort. You know our hearts. You know what our hearts need. I just pray that you would be meeting us here in this space. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to review these every week until we're through this series. But we have been talking about guide rails. It's a combination of two words, guide posts and guardrails. Both are things you need in your life. Both are things that churches need in the church life. Guideposts show you what direction you should go. Guardrails keep you from running off the road. You ever need some of that? And you ever feel a little bit lost, like not sure how to make a decision or what direction you're supposed to go or what kind of area you're supposed to be looking for in life? You need guideposts to show you which way to go. And you also need guide rails to keep you from running off the road. We all need guide rails too. We've combined those two things and we have been walking through the first of five of 10 important values we hold as a church that we call guide rails. Now these are meant to show us the direction we're supposed to keep heading as a church. And they're also meant to be guard rails to keep us from running off the road. Now, I think all of these apply really well to our personal lives, too. As I've studied this, I've found, man, like, this is something I need me, just Josh, as a dad, as a husband, as a, as a, as a person, as a friend. These are important uh, guide, posts, guide, guide rails for me, too. And the first one we talked about was keep, we keep Jesus center, by far the most important thing. First two come right off of the most important Rules there are in the Bible. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said everything hangs off those two things. Keep Jesus center. Our priorities start there. And what I have found, and maybe what you have found, is that when Jesus is center, when he has the center of you, the most important part of you, all the other stuff falls into place in God's timing as it should. If you just keep Jesus center, you will end up getting all of your priorities right. Maybe if you've been battling your priorities, if you've been letting priorities drop, it's because your center has not been centered on Jesus. We keep Jesus center. The second thing is we keep people second. Now, this is something that is a value of ours. It's hopefully a bit of a reality here, but also a bit aspirational because I believe every organization, every person could work on this. When Jesus, when people aren't, when we, it's easy for us to elevate like programs above people or stuff we do above people or all those things. People should be right below Jesus, but above everything else. We care. We care about you. And so people are second. The third guide rail that we have is kind of an expression of those two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that one's a cultural statement. It says we kick in instead of eat up. And what we're doing in that statement is we're comparing two contrasting cultures. Culture of the kingdom of God is one 
where we contribute to the world. We are light and we are salt. We use our gifts for good. We are prepared to do good works. That's the culture of the kingdom of God. It's a culture of contribution. You compare that to a culture we live in today, it's a consumerism culture where where it's all about what I get out of it. Now, the scary thing about that is if I'm buying into that culture, even if I'm just passively participating in that culture, your value to me is based on what I get out of our relationship. That, the value of people and stuff, it's all based on how it makes me feel. That's not how we're supposed to elevate other people. It's not how we're supposed to view ourselves. It's a contrasting culture. Which one are you going to... St- which one are you going to participate in? Are you going to be a consumer? My hope for us is, as individuals who attend this church is that we leave more in every room we step into than we take. That, that I leave more encouragement at my in-laws during Thanksgiving than I take. That I, that I leave more at my workplace than I take from them. We're supposed to leave a mark in the spaces we step into, a mark for good that represents Jesus and all that he has done for us. That was week number three. And then week number four was, I have these typed up in here just because I don't want to mess any of them up and it's getting complicated. We get big and we stay small. And last week, if you were here, we talked about the importance of having big, God-sized dreams in our lives. What's, What's the dream that God has placed on you for your family for your relationships, for your workplace, for your business. God gives God-sized dreams, and then we step into his plan for us by taking small, faithful steps. We need both. And sometimes people either want to dream big and not do the work, or they just are content doing work, and they never search for, reach for what God has for them. Both of those are important. And today's message is called, We Stay Relevant and Strong. Now, here's the cheat sheet for this one. The cheat sheet is this. This is all about our value of engaging with the truth of God's word. We want to engage the world, engage with your friends, engage with you, not with Josh's opinion, not with trendy worship services, but with God's word. Let's talk about trends for a second. Can we talk about trends for a second? How many of you remember the trends of the 80s? Probably the most epic decade I hear. I was, all right, I was around for them. Um, (laughs) Probably the most epic decade for trends. You had really big hair and you had the mullet happen in the 80s. Business up front, party in the back. It's not surprising that the mullet is making a comeback. I'm kind of happy to see it. I've been trying to convince Jimmy Sheridan, our exec pastor, to rock the mullet a little bit. I think it would be a good look on him if he could muster up enough in the front. I'm not sure. (laughs) But we will pray for him. (laughs) Do you remember bike shorts? They weren't worn in the 80s for bicycling. They were just worn. The really fancy ones had the neon stripe down. Why would our parents ever let us just wear bicycle shorts with tank tops around. It's horrific. I'm so hopeful, but not quite sure that parents are doing it better these days than in the 80s. 
Do you remember parachute pants? If you don't know who MC Hammer is, get out of here right now. I'm just kidding, don't leave. There's a lot of young people in our services. Do yourself a favor and just YouTube some MC Hammer videos on your way home today. Don't do it right now. That'll be quite the distraction. Parachute pants were actual thing, and yes, they kind of looked like you were wearing parachute pants, and also, I'm pretty sure if a stiff breeze caught you, it was going to move you down the street. You wore some parachute pants? Any of you wear some parachute pants? I hope not. How about this one? This one lived... Uh, long on. Sometimes trends are things that are said, not just worn. Uh, my dad rocked this for way past its, its legal lifetime. Where's the beef? You remember that little old lady? <laughs> Wendy's commercial. Where's the beef? I heard that so much in my life. The 1990s brought all different kinds of trends. Instead of where's the beef, we got what's up? <laughs> People fighting over beanie babies. Thank goodness that trend is gone. I'm sorry if you're a collector. I'm not a Beanie Baby fan. Boy bands and fighting over which, how lame is this? People fought over which boy band was a better boy band. Backstreet Boys are in sync. They're all awful. Let me just <laughs> tell you that. French roll jeans, stonewash if you were really cool. In the early 2000s, we had cargo pants because we all know we need more cargo to carry around. I, I gotta tell you, I'm a huge fan of cargo pants, and I don't know why. I still own cargo pants. You'll probably never see me wear them because I do it in public, private to avoid the mocking. But like, what are we carrying around that we need two bag-sized pockets on each side? I, cargo pants, cargo shorts, frosted tips in your hair, boot-cut jeans. How about a saying like this, you're the bomb, or talk to the hand? You ever say that? You ever want to smack somebody for saying that? Not me, you all are sinners. I've always just looked at them with the love of Jesus and said. <laughs> Here's the thing about trends. Trends are defined by and carried on by space, time, and culture. Now, now, here's the problem, and why trends are trends. Why they pop into your life, and you have some really awkward pictures, and then you look back on those pictures with embarrassment, is because that trends are defined by, in your life, space, the space you live in, the, the time you live in, and culture. And here's the part that really makes it tricky. Those three things are constantly changing. Your space changes from time to time. You move to a different area. You move back. Space changes. Your, your the time just keeps clicking on. It keeps clicking on. And, and culture is constantly changing and trying to mold us or pull us in one direction or another. All of that is in flux. And that's why trends change so much. You jump from one trend to another trend to another trend. You can't really control all of those things. You're just at the mercy of time, space, and culture. It's why we all have embarrassing photos that we hope our kids do not find and post on the internet at some point in our lives. Time, space, and culture constantly in flux and changing. What we need in a world that can so easily be defined by those changing things is something unchanging. The character of God, for instance. Or, like we're talking about today, 
his word. You see, what gives you strength in changing circumstances through changing times, what gives you strength in an ever-changing culture is something that does not change, something that transcends time, transcends culture, and transcends space. If you're going through a really difficult time today, you may not be going through a really difficult time tomorrow. What you need in either space is something that transcends your circumstances, something that's bigger, and something that gives you strength to make it no matter what time you find yourself in, what space in the world you find yourself in, no matter what culture you are immersed in, we need something that is consistent and strong. And for us, what we're saying is, we need something that lasts past the fad, something that'll never be out of style. For us, as a church, and hopefully for you as individuals, that's the word of God, period. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it's one of my favorite verses. I think about it a lot. Sometimes people will accuse me of being too practical in my messages, and uh, not very often. This is the verse I always go back to to judge myself by, and it says this. It says this. The word, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's a couple of really important words. I mean, every word is important. There's a couple that I have highlighted for myself. One is that word all. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful and equipping. It's God-breathed. That means that what we're talking about on a Sunday morning, it better not be my opinion. It better not be what just I'm feeling excited about in the moment. It's gotta be something bigger than that. And we believe as a church that the word of God is inspired by God. That he has inspired all scripture. Using people and working through their personalities in their time and space in the world, God has given us his word inspired by his Holy Spirit, put to paper by men, but from him. And it transcends culture and time and can speak to us no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, no matter how crazy life has got, no matter what culture you are in, whether you live in the middle of Iran or you are in the west coast of our country, it doesn't matter where you are, this is God-breathed, inspired word of God for us. He speaks to it through us. It transcends culture and time and space. The inspired word of God and all scripture is useful. It makes sense for your everyday life. It's useful to you. It's useful for every part of your life, relationships and work relationships and how you raise kids and how you should treat your in-laws and what you should do at work tomorrow and what do you do when your boss, it's all a guide that is useful to help us live purposeful, meaningful, 
impactful lives. It's useful. It's equipping. It gets us ready. It gets us ready for what God has called us to do. It gets us ready for his purpose for us. It gets us ready for painful circumstances that we're going to have to walk through in life. It's equipping. This is empowerful stuff. It's way more powerful and bigger than, than we could ever imagine. This word of God is alive and speaks to us if we just get out of the way. It's so important. I get so frustrated when this is presented in a boring way. And forgive me for the times I have bored you. I get so frustrated when what comes from preachers on stages is their anger at whatever circumstance they're seeing instead of just the word of God. I get frustrated when this book is sometimes manipulated and used to push some person's agenda. It's bigger than that. And it's weak sauce when we water it down and weak sauce doesn't last. I have the sticker on my microphone. You want to see it? Very few people know it's there. It's a reminder to myself. It was a free sticker about mule sauce, hot sauce. <laughs> I have it on there to remind me that I'm sharing something that's stronger and more powerful than my opinion. It's so much bigger than that. Matthew 24, 35 says, Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. In 1 Peter 1.25, it says, the word of the Lord remains forever. This is what makes us strong. You don't need a preacher. You need this. I spend most of my time trying to figure out how to put this on a plate that makes it seem relevant to you, but you don't need the plate. You just need this. It should not be boring. It should not be about some preacher's opinion on some life circumstances. It should not be about politics. It should not be about any of that nonsense. It's bigger than that. This is God's word. This is God speaking to you. There's a lot of Sundays people will tell me, and they mean it as a compliment. If you've said this to me and you mean it as a compliment, I know you mean it as a compliment and, and I take it as what you say, but there's a lot of times people say to me, man, it was like you were just speaking to me in that sermon. I'm like, really? Because I felt like it was just speaking to me in that sermon. You know what that's about? That's not about good preaching. That's about the Spirit of God using His Word to make an impact on your heart. It has nothing to do with Josh Ott. God forgive me for the times I've gotten in the way of that. You see, this is what makes us strong. And this is what makes us relevant. In Psalm chapter 1, man, what a great psalm to kick off the book of Psalms, by the way. In verse 2 and 3, it says this. It says, but... Let me start at one, because if you don't have the context, you miss it, which, by the way, is really important when you're reading God's Word. You better understand the context. A lot of people have misused God's Word by, not, by ignoring context. Psalm 1 says this. It says, blessed is the one who does not walk in the, 
in step with the wicked. Or stand in the way of, that sinners take. Or sit in the company of mockers. But, in other words, blessed is with that but right there. But, not, that sentence could go sideways that I just said. You'll have to watch the replay to see how close that was to being bad. <laughs> Your butt does not bless you, but this butt means that you are blessed. It's getting worse. That butt represents, uh, you know, blessed is the one. Okay, so you could say here in verse 2, blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person, that person who is rooted in this, that person who's thinking about this, that person who's contemplating this, who's meditating what God says and how it can be applied to our life, it describes that person. It said, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields fruit in season and whose leaves do not wither. That's good news for any of us who are like, things seem to be withering lately. Whatever they do prospers. The person who is like, about the word of God is like a tree that has the constant supply of what they need. Streams of living water just rush into them all the time. Their roots go down deep. That tree is a tree that is not easily knocked down. It is nourished. It is strong. It is growing. The circumstances of life can't mess with it. The changing seasons, they don't do it damage. A storm rolls through. It's not going to take it out. This stream has everything it needs. And it's fruitful. It benefits all kinds of people. You want to be around this kind of person because the fruit is just plentiful. The, the joy that you get from their life, the experience you have, the, the, the peace you have when you're around them, it's unavoidable. The fruit is just there. It's the kind of person you want to be. It's the kind of person you look up to. It's the kind of person you admire. It's a fruitful life, not withering, wasting away, wondering where their purpose is, not getting any meaning out of life. There's no withering, no eye cream needed. <laughs> and whatever they do, prosper. Their relationships prosper because of it. Their workplace prospers. Their businesses prosper because of it. And that's not some like weak sauce prosperity gospel thing where everything goes their way. That's just a reality scripture is teaching us. Life won't always be easy, but if you ground yourself in the word God has for you, you will prosper. Acts 17 is one of my favorite passages. I think about it a lot in the culture that we are in right now. I, I feel like Paul in Athens, I feel like our church is a lot like Paul in Athens. Paul was waiting in Athens on layover, waiting for some of his bros to come and to get on with the mission. And as he's walking around Athens, he's greatly distressed, it says in Scripture, to see that the city was full of idols. He, he's walking around and he sees that in this culture they have idols for everything. They have a God for everything, hoping that these gods will make that part of their life better. They might have a God for like their workplace, a God for the sea, a God for their romantic relationship, a God for parenting. They just had all these gods and he's walking around and he's greatly distressed. And it says, so he yelled at everybody. No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that he got signs and picketed people. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that he got some politician to do his dirty work for him. doesn't say 
any of that. It says this. It says, so he reasoned in the synagogue and the marketplace with them. Both Jews and Gentiles, whoever would listen, he just reasoned with them. He reasoned with them in the religious settings. And he reasoned with them in the marketplace, which was the hub of their business practice and their social lives. Everywhere. It's part of what we're called to do. We are called to see the real need and to reason with people. To talk in their language with them. To reason with them about who God is and who Jesus is and how he has the answers they've been searching. He sees the need and he reasons with them in the synagogue and the marketplace. And he ends up earning the opportunity to speak at the Aripikos. This is a place where all the Athenians and all the Greeks, they would gather together and they would share philosophies and thoughts about life and death and all these important ideas. And they would debate and talk and dialogue. Paul gets this opportunity to speak there and he starts the message by saying this, like I have been walking around seeing all these gods that you have set up and I saw one of these idols that was marked to the unknown God. I know who that unknown God is. Can I share it with you? He goes on to preach this beautiful message about Jesus. How Jesus is the God above all gods. How Jesus came to earth and lived among us. Lived a sinful life and died for us. And rose again so that we could have hope. It's this beautiful Jesus-center message. Some people believed and some didn't. But that point really wasn't up to Paul. That was really up to God. Paul stood in the gap between a broken people lost and searching and a God who had come for those people because he loved them and died for them and rose again. Paul stood in the gap and just said, what if? Look at this, Jesus. He is who you have been searching for. It was relevant. He knew their culture, their language, where they dialogued, how they dialogued. And instead of saying, you need to stop what you're doing over there and come to me, he took church to them. And that's what you do every time you leave here. It's church right now because you're here. But when you leave here at 11 o'clock, hopefully, you will take church with you. And we have the responsibility to show how relevant and important, how meaningful this Jesus is. And we'll reason with them. Paul said, I become all things to all people so that I might reach some. And that is at the heart of this guidepost for us as a church. We will become all things for all people so that we might reach some. I have a couple of takeaways from this, real quick. Takeaway one for us, and maybe for you as an individual, but for us as a church, we wanna be useful, not useless, because the word of God is useful. Here's what's useless. 
boring people is useless. Angrily spouting off my opinions is useless. Being irrelevant is useless. What's useful is the word of God as it applies to our everyday lives. There is nothing more useful and relevant and meaningful than that. This makes sense for your life. Takeaway number two is to be teachable. Because if this is God's word and it transcends time, space, and culture, then we all have something to learn from God. It doesn't matter if you have been going to Sunday school since 1923 or this is your first day in a church in the last 20-some years. We all need to be teachable and learn from God, myself included. Number three takeaway is be relevant and be engaging. This is relevant, and God forgive us for the times where we have gotten in its way and made it seem irrelevant. There are a whole lot of friends that you care about, a whole lot of people you love, maybe even some family members, that think church is completely irrelevant, that, that the word of God is completely irrelevant. Just some old book from some old tradition that their parents are just still clinging desperately to, but it doesn't really make sense in their lives. Forgive us, God, as a church, as a whole, for allowing that view to ever permeate our culture because there's nothing more relevant and engaging than your word, than the word of God. We're gonna fight to be relevant and to be engaging and to engage lost people with the truth of who God is. And the last one is we need to be bigger with God's word. God's word is bigger than time, it's bigger than space, it's bigger than your circumstances, it's bigger than culture. God's word is bigger than politics, it's bigger than my opinions, it's bigger than a preacher, it's bigger than Grace Free Church, it's bigger than a brand, it's bigger than evangelicalism, it's bigger, it's bigger than anything. God's word is bigger and we are committed as a church and I hope you will be committed as an individual to staying strong and relevant as you depend on, as you continue to circle and dive into the word of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. The truth that just pours into our lives. We're so thankful that we could read a passage a hundred times and on the hundredth first time get something new out of the same passages because you're speaking to us through it. It's alive. We're so thankful that Jesus is the ultimate example, that he was the word made flesh for us. Help us to remember that as we interpret the words of this book, that if they don't line up with Jesus, then the issue isn't with scripture, the issue is with us and our interpretation. We're so thankful that this book you have given us is useful and inspired by you. It's relevant to every part of our lives. Would you help us to be people of the word? To allow this to be a part of our routines 
And as a church, help us to continue to be relevant with the word of God, helping people see who you are through it. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.